Welcome to the Q1 2021 Datadog Earnings Conference Call. My name is Karen. I will be your operator for today's call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. During the question and answer session, if you have a question, please press star than one on your touchstone phone. I will now turn the call over to Yuka Broderick, Head of Investor Relations. Yuka, you may begin. Thank you, Karen. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today to review Datadog's first quarter 2021 financial results, which we announced in our press release issued after the close of market today. Joining me on the call today are Olivier Pommel, Datadog's co-founder and CEO, and David Obstler, Datadog CFO. During this call, we will make statements related to our business that are forward-looking under federal securities laws and are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 including statements related to our future financial performance, including our outlook for the second quarter and for the full year of 2021, our strategy, the potential benefits of our products, partnerships, and investments in R&D and go-to-market, our ability to capitalize on our market opportunity, and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on digital transformation and cloud migration trends, as well as our ability to benefit from these trends. The words anticipate, believe, continue, Estimate, expect, intend, will, and similar expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements or similar indications of future expectations. These statements reflect our views only as of today and not as of any subsequent date. These statements are subject to a variety of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. For a discussion of the material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, Please refer to our annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2020, filed with the SEC on March 1, 2021. Additional information will be made available in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarterly period ended March 31, 2021, and other filings and reports that we may file from time to time with the SEC. Our filings with the SEC are available on the Investor Relations section of our website. A replay of this call will also be available there for a limited time. Non-GAAP financial measures will be discussed on this conference call. Please refer to the tables in our earnings release, which you can find on the investor relations portion of our website, for reconciliation of these measures to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measures. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Olivier. Thanks, Yuka. Welcome to the team at Datadog. And thank you all for joining us today. We had a strong start to the year and are very pleased with our performance in Q1 which was strong across all parts of the business and again showed high growth at scale and demonstrated efficiencies. It has been a busy start of the year. We had two products become generally available, continuous profiler and incident management. We closed the acquisitions of Screen and Timber, and we continued to release new features and innovations across our platform. In addition, we continue to hire and build our team at a very rapid pace. Now on to a review of the quarter. To summarize Q1 at a high level, revenue was $199 million, an increase of 51% year over year, and above the high end of our guidance range. We ended the quarter with 1,437 customers with an ARR of $100,000 or more, up from 960 last year. These customers generate over 75% of our ARR. We have about 15,200 customers, up from about 11,500 in the year-ago quarter. This means we added about 1,000 customers in the quarter, making it another strong quarter of ads and consistent with the last few quarters. 
We also continue to be capital efficient with free cash flow of $44 million. And finally, our dollar-based net retention rate continues to be over 130% as customers increase their usage and add up to their newer products. In addition to that, the positive business trends from recent quarters have continued in Q1. First, usage growth from existing customers was stronger than expected and above historical levels. Among other factors, we are seeing the benefit of new logos signed in the back half of last year as they grow into their commitment. Second, new logo ARR was strong in what is normally a seasonally slower quarter, showing our go-to-market investments are paying off. And third, churn continues to remain very low and in line with historical rates. Taking all these factors into account, we had a very strong quarter of ARR added. In fact, we hit an important milestone as we added over 100 million of ARR in a single quarter for the first time. Next, our platform strategy continues to resonate and win in the market. As of the end of Q1, 75% of customers are using two or more products, which is up from 63% last year. Additionally, 25% of customers are using four or more products, which is up from only 12% a year ago. And we also have hundreds of customers using six or more of our nine generally available products. But it's still early. We think this is an interesting proof point that shows a continued upsell opportunity in our customer base. And we had another quarter in which approximately 75% of new logos landed with two or more products. I'd like to provide an update on some of our more recent products, network performance monitoring, real user monitoring, and synthetics. Both network performance monitoring and real user monitoring became generally available a bit more than a year ago. And we are excited to share that both are at approximately eight figures of ARR and are showing high growth. And synthetics also continues to grow rapidly and is an increasingly important contributor to revenue. As a reminder, our newer products are often adopted first by self-selecting customers at a small scale before our land and expand model enables greater adoption over time. And frictionless adoption from our single integrated platform is a key value proposition for our customers. While we are very pleased with the performance of our newer product, I also want to spend some time on the core of our observability platform, infrastructure, APM, and log. All three added record amounts of ARR in the quarter, showing the strength of our platform. APM and logs have both reached large scale and remain in hyper growth, while infrastructure continues to grow at a healthy pace. To give you a sense of scale, APM and logs together added more ARR this quarter than the business as a whole did one year ago. So it is clear to us that these products are each strong enough to be best-of-breed solutions on their own. And to that point, Datadog was recognized as a leader in Gartner's 2021 Magic Quadrant for APM for the first time. And in fact, we were the only vendor in the leader quadrant that improved its position since the last report. Gartner specifically highlighted our strong history of product development and our ability to bring products to market rapidly. As a reminder, we entered the APM market just four years ago, and our APM product has a robust feature set, including end-to-end -end distributed tracing with no sampling and seamless correlation of traces with end-to-end -end observability. The ability to triage problem was also highlighted as a strength, with our unified platform assisting in root cause analysis and reducing resolution time. And lastly, 
Our transparent pricing, which is available on our website, was also recognized as helping to build customer trust. We also continue to make investments in Watchdog, which is the brain behind AI-based features across the Datadog platform. In Q1, we announced a few enhancements, including Watchdog Insights, which is a recommendation engine that is always on and augments manual investigations by automatically detecting anomalies and outliers and allowing for faster times to resolution. We also announced the beta of Watchdog Root Cause Analysis, which automatically identifies causal relationships between different issues across applications and infrastructure and pinpoints the root cause. In addition, we continued innovating across our platform, releasing 38 features in Q1 and crossing 450 out-of-the-box integrations. A few features to highlight include network performance monitoring for Microsoft Windows, which is a very differentiated feature for DeadDog and PM. New marketplace integrations, including Oracle Cloud, as well as the official launch of our GovCloud instance, allowing us to onboard early customers in the government space. Lastly, on the product side, I want to briefly discuss our acquisition of Screen, which closed in early April. We founded Datadog to break down silos between dev and ops teams. And as we've discussed previously, we are working to extend that to security teams as well. Screen is an application security solution that actively detects attacks and can trace them down to the impacted function call. It prevents application security exploits and enables response across development, security, and ops teams. We are very excited at the combination of Screen with our APM and security offerings, as we expect it to allow our customers to protect APM instrumented applications with very little additional friction. And we will share updates as we progress with integrating it in our platform. Now let's switch gears and move on to sales and marketing. I am very proud of the continued productivity from our go-to-market team. As we mentioned last quarter, we have been hiring at a rapid pace across our sales org and are seeing more teams and reps becoming productive. Now let's discuss some of our wins this quarter. First, we had a seven-figure land with one of the world's largest consulting firms undergoing a multi-billion dollar cloud migration. With their dog, they have reduced their monitoring costs by more than 35%, with greater visibility into every layer of their stack, including several X functions. Next, we had a six-figure, or high six-figure, I should say, uh, land deal with a major transportation company. The company is moving towards the DevOps culture, but was hindered by a proliferation of siloed and underutilized monitoring tools. After implementing Datadog, engineers now have a single, easy-to-use platform that facilitates mass adoption. Next, we had a six-figure land from a large supermarket chain. The company has thousands of stores and is in the process of migrating from legacy IT to an Azure-based cloud. Datadog's unified platform helped enable this migration and reduce mean time to resolution by up to 50%. Next, I want to discuss the seven-figure of sales with an EMEA online gaming company. Prior to Datadog, business units were spending too much time responding to incidents and looked for a single source of truth with visibility across all teams and systems. This company reduced its usage from eight observability tools to one, and Datadog is also used by executives all the way up to the CEO. Last, we had a seven-figure upsell to an existing million-dollar-plus customer in the financial services. During COVID, this large enterprise accelerated its digital transformation journey as they enhanced their digital tools and online presence. 
and they continue to grow with Datadog as they migrate more workloads to the cloud and have adopted newer products like NPM and Synthetix. Moving on now to a longer-term outlook. While the pandemic continues to impact the macro environment, businesses are starting to turn to priorities in the post-COVID world. Businesses must be digital first, which we expect will move forward digital transformation projects. Massive IT replatforming is still in its early stages, and we believe we are in a great position with our unified observability platform. While there is the possibility for more near-term volatility caused by the macro environment, we are increasingly confident in our ability to execute and in our long-term opportunity. Before yielding the call to David, there are two changes to the management team I would like to bring to your attention. First, our Chief Revenue Officer, Dan Fougier, will transition out of the company this quarter to take some well-deserved time off after a few decades of hard work. We are very grateful to Dan for many quarters of growth and for developing a world-class organization. We are confident that the team he's built will continue carrying the torch and will exceed expectations the Datadog way. We are also running a search for a new CRO and are evaluating both internal and external candidates. Second, I'm pleased to announce that we will soon be joined by our first ever Chief Operating Officer, Adam Blitzer, who joins us after a successful tenure as an EVP and GM at Salesforce. Adam will help us scale as a SaaS platform company and will oversee a number of our front office functions. With that, I would like to turn the call over to our Chief Financial Officer. David? Thanks, Olivier. We had a very strong start to the year. Revenues was $198.5 million, up 51% year-over-year against the challenging year-ago comp. Usage trends were strong and showed broad-based growth. New logo generation continues to be strong, and customers continue to adopt more products across the platform. To provide some more context, first, growth of existing customers was robust again, and our dollar-based net retention rate remained above 130% for the 15th consecutive quarter. We are pleased with the usage growth of existing customers, which indicates continued adoption of our platform and continued migration to the cloud, even in the face of macro pressures. As Ali mentioned, usage growth was stronger than expected and above historical levels. And usage growth was broad-based, across our customer base. Also, we added a record number of 100,000-plus customers in the quarter. Given our land and expand model, a majority of these ads were existing customers. In addition, we had a strong uptick in the quarter in million-dollar customers. Next, our new logo results were strong. In fact, it was our second best new logo, logo ARR quarter ever and a record for Q1. Contributions were strung across our enterprise and commercial sales channels. Early, uh, earlier, Olivier shared several large new logo wins across more traditional industries, an encouraging sign as companies across a wide spectrum start embracing digital transformation projects. Remember that given our usage-based revenue model, new logo wins generally do not immediately translate into meaningful revenue. Next, 
In the first quarter, we saw continued strength, as Olivier discussed in our platform strategy. With 75% of our customers using two or more products, and 25% of our customers now using four or more products, up from only 12% a year ago. Next, churn was consistent with historical levels. This demonstrates the importance of our solution to our customers. Our dollar-based gross retention rate has remained largely unchanged in the mid-90s, and this was true across customer segments and in each of our infrastructure, APM, and log products. Taken together, this resulted in a record quarter of ARR ads over $100 million, and up significantly versus Q1 last year. Now turning to billings. Billings were $220 million, up 59% year over year. There were no major pro forma impacts to call out in the quarter. Remaining performance obligations, or RPO, was $464 million, up 81% year over year. Contract duration continued to be at an increased level from the year ago period. RPO strength is driven by strong annual billings and commitments, as well as a few large multi-year commits. It is important to note that those multi-year commits are billed annually, and we do not incentivize our sales force for multi-year deals given our high net retention. Current RPO growth was also strong in the high 60s percent. As a reminder, billings and RPO can fluctuate versus revenue based on the timing of invoicing and the signing of customer contracts, while revenue incorporates customer usage. Now let's review the income statement in more detail. As a reminder, unless otherwise noted, all metrics are non-GAAP. We have provided a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financials in our earnings release. Gross profit in the quarter was $153 million, representing a gross margin of 77%. This compares to a gross margin of 78% last quarter and 80% in the year-ago period. The slight decrease in gross margin, as we've discussed before, is due to our investments in products and platform innovation. We expect gross margin to continue to be slightly down from last year in the remainder of the year as we build out new cloud data centers and prioritize product development. R&D expense was $61 million, or 31% of revenue, compared to 27% in the year-ago quarter. We continue to invest significantly in R&D, including a high growth in our engineering headcount. Engineering headcount continues to grow slightly ahead of the pace of revenue growth, and we have been able to attract talent and are successfully executing on our hiring and onboarding plans despite COVID. Sales and marketing expense was $53 million, or 28% of revenues, compared to 32% in the year-ago period. Similar to R&D, we continue to make substantial investments in sales and marketing, but the pace of the revenue growth has outpassed pace investment growth. This was another quarter of no in-person trade shows and marketing events. And while we have successfully redeployed much of the events budget to advertising 
and other lead-generating activities. It is not on a one-for-one -one ratio. GNA expense was $16 million, or 8% of revenue, slightly lower than the 9% in the year-ago quarter. And operating income was $20 million, or a 10% operating margin, compared to an operating income of $16 million, or 12% in the year-ago period. Non-GAAP net income for the quarter was $20 million, or $0.06, six cents a share, based on 344 million weighted average diluted shares outstanding. Now turning to the balance sheet and cash flow, we ended the quarter with $1.6 billion in cash, cash equivalents, restricted cash, and marketable securities. Cash from operation was a strong $52 million in the quarter. After taking into consideration capital expenditures and capitalized software, free cash flow was $44 million for a margin of 22%. Free cash flow was driven by strong collections stemming from our strong billings in Q4 and Q1. Now turning to our outlook for the second quarter and the full year 2021. We believe we can deliver high growth for the foreseeable future as we are addressing a very large greenfield market and are executing well against that opportunity. We are optimistic about the long-term opportunity and have seen an uptick in metrics driving our business growth. Taking this into account, with our usual conservatism implied, we are updating our guidance as follows. For the second quarter, we expect revenues to be in the range of 211 to $213 million, which represents a year-over-year -year growth of 51% at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of $9 million to $11 million. And non-GAAP net income per share is expected to be in the $0.03 cent to $0.04 cent per range based on an approximate $344 million weighted average diluted shares outstanding. For the full year 2021, revenues are expected to be in the range of $880 million to $890 million, which represents a 47% year-over-year growth at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of $45 million to $55 million, and non-GAAP net income per share is expected to be in the range of $0.13 to $0.16 cents per share, based on $345 million weighted average diluted shares. Now some notes on our guidance. While usage growth was strong in Q1, when providing guidance, as usual, we use more conservative assumptions. Next, our strategic focus remains investing to optimize for the long term. Therefore, we are planning to continue aggressive investments in R&D and go-to-market throughout 2021. We believe the efficiencies of our business are evident and we are confident in our ability to be a sizable and materially profitable company over the long term. Additionally, our model assumes a return to office, the office and a resumption of travel and in-person events in the second half of the year. We have limited visibility on these topics, but believe it's prudent to incorporate this in our outlook. Finally, in early April, we close our acquisition of Screen 
we are pleased to welcome more than 50 members of the SCREEN team to Datadog. The acquisition has an immaterial impact on our income statement, and our, our cash flow statement in Q2 will, will reflect the $190 million of cash that we paid for the acquisition. Now, below the operating income line, we expect approximately $1 million of Q2 non-GAAP other income which is net, including the interest income on our cash and marketable securities, less the interest expense on our convertible debt. We do not expect to be a federal taxpayer in 2021, but have a tax provision related to our international entity. We expect the tax provision to be approximately $700,000 in Q2 and $3 million for the full year. Now to summarize, we are very pleased with the results of the quarter. Customers continue to consume more Datadog, both in terms of usage and cross-selling to newer products, and the execution remains strong. We believe the importance of our solutions will only be strengthened long-term by the continued trend of cloud migration and digital transformation. And now with that, we'll open the call for questions. Operator, let's begin the Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press star then one on your touchtone phone. If you wish to be removed from the queue, please press the pound sign or the hash key. There will be a delay before the first question is announced. If you're using your speakerphone, you may need to pick up the handset first before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one on your touchtone phone. And we do have our first question from Ramo Lencho from Barclays. Hey, thanks, uh, and congrats on an amazing quarter. Um, Olivier, can you, uh, you talked about the um, growing momentum you have around an APM and the recognition you get from the industry experts. Um, can you talk a little bit about where we are in terms of APM adoption in your client base in terms of number of applications that are getting properly monitored, and what are you seeing in terms of where you are getting used, where maybe some of the traditional legacy guys are getting used for APM? Thank you. Yes, so great question. I think so. we, we are seeing a lot of adoption from APM. I think, you know, when we back a, you know, an eternity ago when we took the company public, we were saying that uh, APM probably had a bit of a longer fuse to it, but had a very long runway as, as more and more applications move to the cloud and, and more, more of them become critical. And that's what we see happen today. Um, in terms of our you know, penetration among customer applications, like if you do the ratio of the, of the uh, let's call it the instances of containers that are covered with APM from the total instances of containers that we see for infrastructure monitoring, there's still quite a bit of runway in there, but that ratio is already higher than the famous, you know, Gartner quote of you know, 5% of applications being monitored. So we think we're, we're clearly targeting those applications in, in next-gen cloud environments. We, we are starting to see from some of our larger enterprise customers uh, some of their um, uh, on-prem applications that are being instrumented with our APM as well, but I would say that's more of a phase two of adoption uh, as opposed to what we lead with and, and how we start with those customers. Thank you. 
And we do have our next question from Sanjeet Singh from Morgan Stanley. Thank you for taking the questions. And congrats to the team on a, on a really exceptional quarter, um, really great start to the year. Um, to follow on uh, Raimo's question, um, I think what's sort of impressing me is the multi-product adoption, and, and frankly, in some of the newer categories. So you mentioned APM and logs, but you also called out um, networking as well and some of the other new products. When you think about the networking opportunity, what's driving um, that, uh, that strong growth? Is it just the maturity of the product sort of being a, a year two product, or did you see some benefits from some of the competitors like SolarWinds post the, um, the Sunburst attack? Um, how do you see the networking opportunity um, for Datadog relative to, to APM and some of the other products? I think it's a combination of there's a lot of market need um, because networking, especially in next-generation cloud environment, and especially for companies that have one foot in the cloud and one foot on-prem, uh, is not something that is well covered you know, in terms of monitoring and understanding. So there's a big need there. And, and the second part of that is, as you mentioned, the product maturity. I mean, that product is getting uh, better and better. It covers more and more of the use cases, you know, which means it goes from being great for a small number of customers to being great for you know, a larger and larger fraction of our you know, market and customer base. One illustration of that is what we announced uh, or we mentioned in the call today, which is the network performance monitoring today also uh, works for Microsoft Windows. Um, and as it turns out, uh, it's very differentiated to have a cloud-based network performance monitoring product that also works for Microsoft Windows. And it helps a lot of those customers with very hybrid uh, deployments. It makes a ton of sense, Olivier. And then as my follow-up question, as as we think about the new announcement um, with a great hire for the CEO position, can you sort of walk us through um, the thinking around why now is the right time to bring a CEO on board? Is it, a, is it about where the business is in terms of scale, or is there a certain new market segment that you want to target? Um, what was sort of the thinking behind bringing on um, a chief operating officer into, into Dave Duck? Well, the, the thinking is really to scale the team. Um, you know, we, 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 if you fast forward a few years, we'll, we'll be a lot bigger. You know, we're building a platform. Um, there's a number of things that we'll need to do right, and there's a number of there's going to be a number of problems to solve along the way. Uh, and it was always a given that we would need to grow the, the bandwidth of the senior management team. And as we embarked on that, we also sought to bring into the company some uh, experience with uh, what later stages of scale and growth look like for SaaS companies, especially SaaS platform companies. Um, which explains to you the, uh, you know, the, the, the hire we're making here. Thanks, Tolson. Congrats again. Thank you. And we do have our next question from Brent Hill from Jeffries. Thanks. I, I just wanted to follow up on, on uh, the question around Adam. Obviously, a huge endorsement for you guys, but Adam was the founder of a company and, you know, effectively was running a lot of, you know, the outbound activity. And I, I'm curious, you know, most COOs, at least the definition of, you know, taking care of the inside of the company versus the outside. Can you just talk to, you know, his role on the outside and, and with customers and the interaction versus the focus on the inside? I think there's just some uh, trying to understand, you know, where he's going to be spending most of his time. Yeah, it's a great question. The focus is actually on a lot of the front of his function. And, and these are going to have to do with, uh, servicing our customers and, and growing our customers. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but I mean, look, our, our teams are, like we have a fairly idiosyncratic setup, you know, for how we go to market and how we serve customers. 
that is aligned with our uh, learn and expand low friction model. Uh, but Adam is, is going to lead a number of those teams. Okay, great. And the focus is outwards instead of inwards. Okay, that's great. And a quick quick one for David. Just uh, you mentioned duration is up. Can you remind us of what the duration is now versus what you saw a year ago? Yeah, the billings duration we said it's um, in the um, seven uh, around seven uh, months, and the contract duration um, spread out uh, towards more towards a year in the nine plus months, and it's maintained that. So what we saw was over the last couple quarters, given the multi-year contracts and the increase of annual billing, the contract duration um, uh, increased. Okay, thanks for the color. Yep. And we do have our next question from Matt Hedberg from RBC. Yeah, thank you. This is actually Matt Swanson on for Matt. Um, so thinking about the capabilities of Screen and the potential cross-sell opportunity, could, could you give us a little color on what type of solutions your customers currently have to address these needs? And if you think of this as, you know, a competitive environment within your customers or more of another greenfield opportunity. Yeah, so it's it's really more of a greenfield opportunity. Today, customers uh, typically don't have anything or they have something, it's not really deployed. And the reason for that is that to inject application security inside the application, there's actually quite a bit of friction. Um, where the combination with Datadog and with our APM uh, makes sense is that we've already incurred that friction to instrument the application with APM. And the point of insertion is the same. Um, and, and that's where we think the, 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 the proverbial one plus one equals three you know, happens by adding screen to, the, to, to Datadog. And I should say, it's, it's only going to be the start, right? I mean, we, there's a lot more we want to do in application security and the rest of security. Um, but the, the first step is really to plug the, uh, this, this protection, detection and protection directly at the APM level uh, with Screen. Well, and that kind of leads directly into what I wanted to go to for my second question, which is, you know, Olivia, you guys are really have a front row seat to digital transformation, and you obviously then get to also see some of the security challenges that arise from that. So what are some of those other areas in security that maybe you're seeing as pain points for your customers? Well, there's many, and look, there's a, um, it seems like every other month there's a, there's a, large-scale attack that brings a new area of security to fo into focus. Um, but the way we see the world and the way it relates to us, we're focusing on um, applications in the cloud. Uh, and for that, we think there's, there are important aspects of it that happen at the application level, which is what we're addressing with Screen. There are important aspects of it that are happening at the infrastructure level. Uh, and we have a few different products that we started uh, last year um, and that you know, we're, we're still developing and, and shaping around that. Um, then there's one big part of it that has to do with uh, putting all this information together into an actionable system of record. You know, with, in the on-prem world would be a theme. We also have a product, a security monitoring product, that is a precursor to a theme that we're building into a theme that's not there yet. So we, we really intend to cover that whole uh, spectrum specifically for uh, applications in the cloud and specifically for use cases that are going to bring together dev, ops, and, and security. You know, in general, when you think of the problems um, 
companies have in this kind of environment. The first one is that the tooling is is very bare bones. Most of it doesn't exist or uh, is so high friction that it doesn't get developed. It doesn't get deployed. Uh, but the, the other thing that happens in most of these companies is that it's really, really hard to operationalize security because it's hard to get dev and ops and security to be on the same page and, and, and work together. And, and that's where I think we can, we can make a big difference if we, if we uh, use our platform the right way and if we build out those products right. Thank you. And we do have our next question from Lavon Suri from William Blair. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my question, and, and congrats on, on a, another well-executed um, quarter. I, I want to touch on the partner network. You know, you announced kind of the launch of the formal partner network in January, kind of expands, go-to-market, self-service for implementation, things like that. Can you just talk about the early interest you're seeing there, the traction? Because you're not a heavy services company. There's not a lot of implementation um, or lift here. Uh, so how is that playing out, and, and, and kind of how does that play into sort of more of a medium-term, long-term channel strategy? Is this, is this really a growth driver? Is this sort of um, efficiency driver? How should we think about that? Uh, so, so for us, it's, it's really a growth driver, right? I think, you know, when you look at a, at a better dog, you know, we have plenty of efficiency. Um, and the way we think about everything is how do, we, how do we get the biggest part of that market, which we think is going to be gigantic, uh, how do we build the products we need to get to, to all that, and how do we reach all the customers across all regions and all segments to get there? So that's that's how we think about it. Um, so when we look at our partner program, we see it through that lens, and we're very happy with the the adoptions we we've, we've had there. Um, there's a number of things we need to do still. I mean, it's still I would say very early. Um, we have validating wins, like we've talked about some of those in previous calls, uh, yeah. but there's a lot more we want to build. Uh, over the next uh, the next year, I would say. So, you know, no specific update in, in this quarter, um, but I do expect that we'll talk about it again. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then I, I want to touch a little bit on sort of pricing and competition kind of combined. You know, if I was to look at pricing in general, you know, you're viewed as kind of having um, a really attractive um, price point in terms of modern vendors. Um, but then as you get into enterprises, you know, given the scale you're being deployed at, whether pricing is cheap or expensive is different, but it becomos a big number. And guys like New Relic, Sumo, Splunk have all made adjustments in pricing models in the last 12 months. In your last quarter, you said you were having a pricing model. So I'm just wondering, are you seeing any pushback at the enterprise level? Are you seeing customers after price concessions? Um, you know, anecdotally, just some, some sense of the confidence you have that, that, that there is sort of a, a non issue around pricing at that enterprise level, given the scale again deployed. I'd love to understand how you think about that and what you're seeing competitively if those guys sort of use pricing as a FUD or, you know, maybe even as a, as a way to get into some accounts. Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, so first of all, on, on uh, pricing and price pushback, look, we have customers that pay us more than $10 million a year. Uh, anybody right, who right. telling you that somebody's paying them $10 million a year and is not asking for a lower price, they're probably not getting <laughs> uh, sure. so, um, But look, at the end of the day, the, the way we think about it is this is this is very high leverage spend for our customers. And this is a tiny compared to what they spend on their infrastructure and on their engineering teams. Um, and the way we think about pricing for all the data and everything they send us is that the, the amount of data are going to grow you know, exponentially over time. 
um, they're going to grow faster than these customers' top line for, for, for practical purposes. And so pricing will have to adapt, you know, either how smart we are about getting, uh, uh, interpreting that data, or how we price and how we structure the, the models as these customers scale more and more with us. I will say that we, while we do have pricing conversion with customers, especially large ones, um, we don't see the kind of competitive, you know, cash flow pressure uh, you might imagine if you if you read, you know, the competition's marketing website. You know, the, the best illustration of that would be, I mean, uh, David mentioned uh, in the call that we had a, a gross retention in the mid 90s, and this is stable across uh, various. Um, segments of our customers and also stable across products. If you take each of our infrastructure, APM, and logs products individually, you see the same numbers. What this tells you is that there's, there's very little um, that goes away. There's not a lot of room there for cutthroat price-driven competition. Gotcha. Gotcha. Super helpful. Thank you. Thanks for taking my questions, and, uh, and great job again. Thank you. And we do have our next question from Michael Turitz from KeyBank. Hey, guys. Um, very solid quarter. Congratulations. I'd like to continue on the competitive front relative to a couple of uh, uh, in a couple of directions. One, obviously, an uh, announcement from Splunk recently. Secondly, the impact of open source, open telemetry. And third, whether or not there's any change from the cloud vendors. Recent announcement or GA from AWS. So I'll have the usual boring answer, you know, which is that we don't really see any change in the competitive landscape. Um, it's a bit early for me to comment on the on the Splunk announcements because I think they just did that yesterday. Uh, but from what we could see, uh, it seems to be a formal announcement from the repackaging of the products they had been doing for for the past few quarters and that we had seen on the market. So there's no no big change or surprise. Uh, and on the other side, like, we don't see. Like, for, from anybody else, we don't see any, any big change that is impacting us much. The, the biggest impact of uh, competitive announcements I see is, uh, is typically the day of the announcement where somebody had to, has to figure out what's going on and, and explain it, and that's about it. We, don't, we, we, don't, we are not competition-driven in our product development, and we're also not competition-driven in our go-to-market. So, Olivier, I'll, I'll just follow up you know, on that, maybe just drill down further. I brought up open open telemetry. Is there, you know, any sense that with, with those open telemetry that, that the agent is essentially commoditized? That, and if, if so, is that forcing you in any way to focus even more so, let's call it up the stack in terms of analytics or, or other value add? Oh, so we, we're, so first of all, we're fully, you know, we're all, all in on open telemetry as well. Um, and to us, it's not a change, right? Our agent was open source already. Um, it's, uh, it, was, we, it was free for everybody, including our competition, to, to reuse. Uh, we, we leaned on, uh, you know, into open source formats and, and um, libraries to instrument our applications for a very long time, and we support a large number of them. The way we see the problem is not, like what matters is not what technology we use to get data from here to there. Uh, what matters is to solve the end-to-end problem for our customers and to make it as easy as possible uh, for them to just plug us in and everything just work, everything just shows up. We turn their mess, their gigantic mess with all these different technologies and applications and clouds and everything else. We turn that into something that they understand and is well-ordered without any effort. 
that's what wins in the market in the end, and that that's how we see all of this. And the various bits and pieces that appear in the in the in the middle, like the formats and the libraries and everything else, you know, this this will change, it has changed, it will change, and it doesn't matter. Olivier, thanks very much. Nice quarter. We have our next question from Jake Andrews from Needham. Well, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, apologize, I've been jumping around calls, but I just had a, a broader question. Um, just when we think about just the proliferation of, of new products that you could continue to introduce, um, you know, how would you characterize where, where your sales force is in terms of just their knowledge and ability to to really understand and appropriately um, sell all this functionality that you have to offer? Well, so far it's working. I think, uh, look, we, we do have a fairly differentiated go-to-market in the way we organize internally, you know, which teams, uh, you know, who we land, what we land with, uh, and, and how customers adopt our products, um, and how they learn about those products. So we, this doesn't, uh, rely on, you know, having every single sales rep, uh, understanding every single little feature we have in every part of the product. That, that wouldn't be practical. Um, so it is working. We're very confident in that. I would say there's a point at which we might we might have to consider tweaking the way we go to market, and I think that we'll have to do more with when we uh, start actively selling to what might be different buyers. And I think we've discussed this before, but I'm thinking more specifically of the security market. You know, we're not there yet. Uh, we're not actively pushing to the security buyers today with our product. Um, but when that happens, we might have to make some tweaks. We're not there yet. Okay, thanks. So just as a quick follow-up, could you maybe just talk about how much of your new business today is, is perhaps generated from partnerships with the, uh, the public cloud vendors? I believe you know have strategic relationships with all three of the, the big clouds uh, entering the year here. So how should we be thinking about their uh, relative contributions moving forward? So we, we don't have any, uh, any numbers to share around that. Um, I will say that you know, a lot of the you – know, historically, a lot of that has been – you know, informal, you know, in that we work alongside the cloud provider, but there's no formal agreement of, you know, rev share and everything else. We, we started to put some of those in place more recently um, around the, uh, you know, committed resources for going to market jointly, things like that. Um, but we don't have anything to share on that. Okay, thanks. Uh, congratulations on the result. And we do have our next question from Andrew Nowinski from Davidson. Uh, customers, I think you had 97 in Q4 uh, that spent over a million in ARR. Can you just give us any more color around what you uh, called a strong uptick in those customers this quarter? And then did you have any uh, outsized deals in the quarter? Let me just take that as a metric. We said we were going to announce that once a year and give some comment on flavor, so we're not going to – Give the number, but you know it was a it's a strong uptick, and as we talked about, it has a lot to do with the expansion of customers into that million dollar range. Um, as far as a concentration in the quarter, nothing out of the ordinary. We continue to have you know some very meaty lands, but given the uh, land and expand model and the number of customers we bring on, we don't have a a concentration that produces a quarter. Okay, great. And then um, maybe just a follow-up question on the gross margin side. 
maybe it ticked down a little bit lower than I uh, expected. Was there anything uh, abnormal on, on the gross margin side, or do you expect that to uh, to come back up going forward? It's uh, the, um, the, the way we think. On, yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah, yeah we, we said. We, yeah, sorry, Don. <laughs> All right, good. So we. So on, on the gross margin, so the, the way we think about it is this, this is this is due to us um, having the product teams work on product development instead of working on optimizing, um, and we're still happy with gross margins where they are. They might still fluctuate. They probably would fluctuate a bit lower than they were last year because we're very busy um, building product. Uh, but there's nothing uh, fundamentally changed uh, around our, our margins. And there's, a, there's many other things we can do in the future to optimize if we so wish. So right now the goal we're making is we focus on product development. We focus on making sure that we grow uh, the top line in the short and midterm. Um, and then we, uh, uh, you know, if, if things get out of hand on the growth margin side, we'll, we'll spend some more time on optimization. Got it. Thank you. And we do have our next question from Chris Merlin from Goldman Sachs. All right, thanks for taking my question. Um, I wanted to ask about the uh, CRO uh, position. I think you mentioned the prepared remarks. You're looking for a new one. I mean, uh, should we take that to mean that perhaps there's more, even more of an enterprise focus um, as it relates to your go-to-market organization? Just, just curious, um, what type of person you're looking for, and, and, and how, what, if anything, we should read into as, as, as we think about any sort of evolution with the, the go-to-market motion of the of the company. Thank you. Yeah, there's really nothing to read into it. I think it's a continuation of what we have. Uh, I would say right now we we have a, uh, a deep bench on the on the uh, sales leadership side. We're very happy with the leadership we have in place, um, and and we'll still be going to be looking for a new CRO, and we'll be going to be uh, looking at candidates both internally and externally for that. But there's no. There's no willing desire to change uh, change course or uh, do anything fundamentally different from where we were. Got it. Thank you. And apologies if this has been asked, but you know, in, in terms of duration, I know that you know in prior quarters it seems like that was coming in. Customers were looking you know, to do shorter deals. Um, anything changing on 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 that front? I mean, it seems like all the you know, there's more tailwinds behind the business. Certainly, as as we get into a recovery here, usage is going higher. Just just curious if you could comment on. Um, duration. Yeah, it pulled in, and we talked about in Q3 um, as risk management happened, and then we said in Q4 both billings and uh, and contract duration pulled back out, basically in billings, uh, you know, in the seven, seven to eight, and contract duration um, nine, ten around that, and it had to do with you know clients um, uh, client preferences. And we continue to have that same sort of um, duration in Q1 that we had in Q4. So, um, so it's it's very similar to the trend we talked about last time, which is more duration on contracts year over year. But between Q4 and Q1, there really wasn't much change in the way clients uh, approach the contracting. Thank you very much. And we do have our next question from Yoon Kim from Loop Capital. Great. Uh, first, congrats on a strong quarter, Ollie and David. Um, you mentioned that uh, strong usage usage trend, um, you know, driving strong results in the quarter. Is there any way to qualify whether that strength in usage came from, you know, um, existing deployments um, or relatively new deployments that just happened to ramp in the quarter? And then also, 
on on usage. I know it's only Q1, um, but uh, how much of that strength in usage was already captured in the uh, contract versus uh, you know the um, the usage that came in well above contract provision? So um, you know that caused customers to kind of renew at a higher contract value. Thank you. You want to take? I'll, I'll start with that. So. Um, we had um, it was very broad based across industries. Um, we had um, uh, a combination of customers that we brought on with the strong new logos in the second half of the year and in Q1 um, uh, begin to ramp because we are land and expand, and customers that were already using us and have been using us for a year or more uh, increase their activities. Um, we think it has a lot to do with the increase of activity on digital transformation and workloads. Um, as as um, in previous quarters, uh, about uh, two-thirds of the uh, increase of usage was from uh, customers using more of the products they had purchased in the um, in the previous period in the previous periods, and about one-third was cross-sell or new, and that continued in the quarter. So it was a combination of new logos, increased usage of existing products, and very robust cross-selling and adoption of the platform. Okay, great. So there wasn't any necessarily different trend that kind of drove the upside in the usage trend in the quarter, per se, from previous quarters? It was very, it was broad. All the, all three of those were positive in terms of both the scaling of new customers, the cross-sell, and the increase of usage of existing okay. products. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, just the last question for me, um, could just, uh, um, you know, talk about any geographical trend that you're seeing out there, um, that you ex- expect to see, um, you know, uh, um, for this year, um, especially in Europe. Thanks. Uh, Europe, let me, let me take that. Europe has been strong uh, for us. We have not seen um, you know, the slower vaccination um, attract, and um, we have seen you know, pretty good resumption of growth across all the geographies. Um, we'll have to continue to watch it because there's variation in back to work and back to office, but as it relates to Q1, um, and Q4, we we saw uh, fairly uniform strength across the, the regions. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And we do have our next question from Greg uh, Mosinski from Misuho. Okay, thank you very much, and a really nice quarter, guys. Uh, first question is on uh, Datadog Continuous Profiler, and now that it's GA, what sort of trial and paid activity have you seen so far? You know, it would seem like there would be a lot of interest in getting ongoing visibility into code performance, but any early uh, anecdotes would be would be helpful there. Uh, yeah, so very happy with the product. It's been very strong out of the gate. Uh, we don't have any numbers to share, and there's still, like, it's so early in its cycle that there's still a number of things that we need to do to the product so that, you know, it works well for everyone who wants to use it. Um, but it's a... Uh, it's a product that is that is beloved by its users. Let's put it this way. So, it's uh, it's got it's got very very strong fans. That's the anecdote I can give you. Okay, that's great. And then uh, you mentioned earlier uh, that you saw an uptick in metrics. W- would you say that your internal metrics are back to 
pre-pandemic levels or, or not quite yet? Um, well, I think it's at this point I'm losing track of what we're comparing to back to you know, pre-pandemic level uh, <laughs> so far back. Um, but we look, we're very happy with what happened over the, the you know, Q3, Q4, and Q1. Um, it's, we had a very, very strong Q1. Um, we, we still think, you know, we don't know what the macro is going to, you know, what's going to impact us. We still think the, because every, all our customers are, are, have been affected the same way at the same time, you know, we, we just feel a bit more uncertain than it used to be. But look, we feel good about the business, right? I think we just increased the, uh, um, the guidance for the full year. You know, I think it went from 38% or so growth to 47%. Um, that should tell you that we feel great about where we are and about the business. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks, Olivier. This includes the question and answer portion. I will now turn the call over to Olivier Pamel for closing remarks. Thank you. And in closing, I would just want to reiterate that we're very, very pleased with our performance to start the year. And that I am personally very proud of our execution, and I want to thank all of our employees, all Datadogs, for their continued hard work. Thank you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.